Amen. Well, Father, we love you so much. So grateful for all you're doing, Lord, in our lives. Lord, thank you for all you're doing in our church family. Lord, thank you for all you're doing in the kingdom around the world. We're so grateful that we get to be a part of that, but we know there is so much more that you truly are at work uh, in our earth uh, in Jesus' name. So today, just uh, give us wisdom, help us to teach and to minister and to learn together by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm just going to keep going this morning talking about the thought and the idea of not just being giant killers, but I want us to become giant hunters, right? That there's a difference. I love that Sam and I were talking about it uh, last week a little bit. You know, uh, I like to hunt. I like to hunt. I'm not a hunter. I, I'm a man that likes to hunt, right? And so, <laughs> but... Um, but the idea, I love that, you know, and I, Sam said something, he said, you know, when you've got the right tool in your hand and, and the critter comes along, it's, it's easy to kill something, right? But you have to learn how to hunt. And that just really stuck with me and been meditating on that, that that's my desire in this is to help us to learn and to grow how to hunt down giants. Thank you, I, amen. I just, I don't just want us to be giant killers. I, I want us to be giant hunters, Right, and here's why. Back in Numbers chapter 14, and last time I spoke with you, we were looking a little bit at the parallel of the promised land and salvation today. Right, and understand, I know in the church world, traditionally, Canaan land, you know, we have that old song, Beulah land, I am longing for you. you. And, and well, you understand that Canaan land, Beulah land, the promised land is not a type of heaven. It's not telling us about what is going to come when we go to be with Father in heaven. The promised land was always a type of our salvation. What we would do in this life, in this earth, at this time, right? We all crossed over into the promised land of God through the waters of baptism. We all went into a place, right? Because how many of you know there's, there's no giants in heaven? Right. Come on, there's no walled cities. Right. We're not going to get to heaven and face a Jericho, right? Mm -hmm. That's all types and shadows of our life here because God is with us. That he is leading us into a land of promise, a land filled with his good things, but like the children of Israel, we're going to have to go and possess the land. Right. Amen. Yeah. Hallelujah. That means we get to take cities. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. That means we get to kill giants. Yes. And I love that because, you know, we know the story, how the story went, you know, that there were 12 spies they sent out, 10 brought back, not an untrue report, right? The, the 10 spies, what they said was true. The land is good and the people are great. They just brought back a report that had no promise in it. Right? Their report had no promise attached to it. That's why it was evil. Remember, any report given to you that is devoid of promise is evil. The doctor gives you a report and it's devoid of promise. We say, thank you, doctor. But that report is evil because it has no promise in it. I don't have to. I hear you, but I don't receive what you say because I have received the promise of God. Does that make sense? 
right? And so as we cross over into the promise, and we're going to look at parallels, but it says here in Numbers, one of the stories of them crossing over, and it says, and this is back in verse uh, 6, uh, of chapter 14 of Numbers is, but Joshua, the son of Nun and Caleb, the son of Jephthah, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to the entire assembly of the children of Israel and said, the land we passed through to spy out is exceedingly good. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us. It is a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord for fear of the people of the land, for they are our bread. Everybody say that. Say, they are our bread. bread. You're going to say, my giant giant is my supper. supper. Amen. Amen. Does that make sense? My giant is my breakfast. Amen. Mm -hmm. We eat giants as the children of God. Hallelujah. You were made to eat giants. You were made to take on big things. You were made to conquer great things. Last time we spoke together, we we talked and touched some things. You know, sometimes our giants will be, and we're going to look at the life of David in just a second, will be like Goliath was to David. It will be an enemy of the covenant of God facing you. Right? Sometimes that's the giant. Sometimes the giant is simply like, like Caleb was. It's the promise God has given you to do. If you remember, so Joshua and Caleb, they went in with the 10 spies, right? And they had divided before. And if you read through the story, they had divided up the promised land before they entered in. God had shown Moses how to divide up the territory and which family tribes to give it to. And Caleb's lot, what God had said, belonged to Caleb and his family. And where's my Caleb? You know, this is who you're named after, buddy. Did I ever tell you that? I named you after this Caleb in the Bible, right? Just in case I've never told you that. So this is your story. This is why I gave you that name, me and your mother. But um, is Caleb's lot fell to the land that's called of the Amalekites. And the Amalekites were a giant race. They were a race of, of large people. And that was Caleb's territory. How many of you would get excited about that? <laughs> Anybody here want to volunteer and say, that just gets you all right up excited? You know, they're there looking at the map and they say, oh yeah, Caleb, this, this land over here, that's yours. Oh, by the way, that's where all the giants live. <laughs> right? See, many times in our current, we would go, oh, thank you, Jesus. Yay. <laughs> I get the giants. Yay. What did I do? Why, God, did you give me this hard task? Come on now. Are you with me? Amen. Remember, give God your worship, not your whine. Let me say that one more time. Give God your worship, not your whine. Amen. But it says that that was Caleb's allotment. Well, then we know how it is. They failed that day. They listened to the 10 people that had no promise alive in them and they had to wander in the desert for 40 years. Now notice this, until they could get out of their culture people who would not accept the promise. They had to wander in the desert until those who refused the promise had passed away. Right? But Joshua and Caleb were the only ones of their generation 
that survived. Now, that's key. If you want to outlast the crooked generation, be the one who accepts the promise. If you want to outlast what is going on around you, be the one who says, I will believe in the promise maker and his promise to me, and I will hold to the promise at all cost. Amen. And that will, it's a preservative. Believing and trusting in the promise of God will preserve you. It will keep you. Amen. So we see that. So then Joshua and Caleb come in. Well, now they were somewhere, it says they were about 80 years old later. So the 40 years go around. And so Caleb is 80 years old when he's finally able to cross over into the promised land. And what did Caleb say when he was 80 years old? Y'all remember? What does my Bible scholar say? He said that. He said, I'm just, but what else did he say? He said, give me my mountain. Listen to me. Are you ready to say that today? Father, give me my mountain. I will go and hunt down the giants that possess my land. Give it to me. I will take it. I will go after it. Right? I'm 80 years old. And he did say, my strength hasn't failed me. My strength. He's basically saying, God has never left me. God has not forsaken me. I have been waiting for this day. You know, sometimes you have to put up with people who don't believe the promise. Amen. It's almost like, that's what Caleb was like, man, I, I've put up with these unbelieving, non-promise keeping people for 40 years. <laughs> now, aren't you glad that Joshua and Caleb didn't kind of try to advance the plan of God and secretly kind of start dispatching people, right? <laughs> There were no midnight assassinations of the unbelievers, praise God, and stuff. But they were waiting. And he was waiting. And he said, okay, now, okay, go. But I want my mountain. Guess what? What is it that you want? What do you want from your life here? What do you desire to see in your life? I can't answer that question for you, right? I can't carve out your promised land for you. I can't give you the definitions of your territory. You're going to have to go to the promise maker for your territory. But I encourage you to go to your promise maker. Go to your father and say, Lord, which mountain is mine? Which territory is mine? So please hear me, because sometimes I think in the church world, and not that it's wrong, again, that we can say, oh, it's the, it's the giant of sickness. And it may be for some people. Or it's the giant of financial lack. Or it's the giant of whatever. Right. Of a relational thing. Right. And that may be true, so please hear me. But I think we spend so much time over there that we don't actually spend time where it's most needed. Does that make sense? Okay. So uh, over the years, we've, we've uh, been in different ministries. And one of the things that I used to do was manage prayer lines at um, one of the churches. So they had prayer and everything. But in the training, they'll tell you that the main things that people call about are money, uh, health, and relationships. 
money, health, and relationships yep. over and over and over and over. And one time I was praying about that, and I was just like, if we're constantly just praying about ourselves and what's going on with us, it's like we're stuck in kindergarten and we can't get past it. And so when we actually mature in our spirit and just claim what already belongs to us rather than constantly going back to the basics, I've got to get my healing again. It, I mean, sickness is going to come against us, right? But if we have to, if we're waylaid and now we need prayer from everybody in the world just to get past the hump of that illness, ha, huh, right? And so there's no condemnation because I happen to know mm-hmm. um, someone who teaches on healing and everything and he just had cancer. So he needed people to rally around mm-hmm. him. And so, yes, they prayed. What I'm talking about, though, is somebody who hasn't matured yet and who is just constantly stuck in those areas. There's no victory in those areas. Let's put it that way. There's really no victory yet in those very elementary areas. I call them elementary because those things have already been covered. Yeah. Those things already belong to us. We just need to become skillful with the uh, word of righteousness and go, this is who I am. And that is basic. If I had to remind my kids every single day that they are Holomans, we have a problem, Houston, right? Right? But, but they all know they're Holomans. That's just basic. Um, but the moment we mature from that and, and start getting victory in those areas, now our prayer can be, to other things, yeah. what, what Brad is talking about, other giants, other things, giants in other people's lives, etc. So now it's not so in here or elementary, but now it's what am I going to do for the kingdom? Yeah. How am I going to spend my life for Jesus? Yes. Um, from that point, we can start going. Absolutely. Right? Thank you. And, and, and we're getting ready, and I'll just go ahead and some of that uh, preface everybody where we're going to go in the month of October is we're going to talk about heaven, right? Because you've heard me say this before. You understand we're playing for points, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some of y'all look at me real funny. I always say that. You understand that when we're here in life and we're living, it matters for eternity. Yes. We're, we're, we're not just getting by and waiting until he returns. What we're doing today, you and I, here is we're playing for points. I know that's, you say, okay, well, here, let me, let me unpack just a little bit. And then we want to get on there. Is, Kurt, what you and I do, whatever we do with our life, you understand that it's this, uh, I call it one of the kingdom paradoxes, right? One of the kind of opposite sounding things. Kind of like, for example, giving, the kingdom paradox of giving. The more you give, the more comes back to you. That's kind of weird, right? Because you think, well, no, I got to hang on to stuff to get more. But the kingdom says, no, no, just the more you give, it's just going to keep coming. It's one of those paradoxes. Like, again, like Jesus said, hey, if you'll give your life away, you'll find life. Well, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> How do I give my life away and I actually gain life out of it? It's, so one of the kingdom paradoxes is, is we live in a temporary, that means temporal, a temporal or temporary plane of existence. Would we all agree with that? Right? But everything we do in this temporary plane counts for the eternal plane. Right? So our life in the temporary is building a life in the future. Now, please hear me. I'm not talking about to gain salvation. 
That was given to us at the table. Right? So I'm not saying we're working in order to get to heaven. Right? We're not working to try to get in. We're not working to try to get Jesus to love us more. We're not working and try to get him to bless us more. But we are working for profit. How many of you know that your heavenly father is a capitalist? He is not a socialist. Right? Your heavenly father wants a profit. Okay, now y'all going to make me go somewhere I didn't even intend to go. You understand that, right? Jesus told us that. He gave us two parables, Matthew chapter 25, Luke chapter 19. Two parables of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is like, and he tells a story. It's like a man who owns a large estate, and he's going away on a far journey, and he calls to himself his faithful servants. And according to their ability, he gives one five, he gives one two, And he gives another one, one. And then he says, now go do business with what I've given you. And when I return, we'll settle up accounts. Do you understand? There's a coming a day when you and I will stand before Jesus and we will settle up accounts. Now, please hear me. We're going to talk about this. Don't Don't get too far into October's message, right? We're not talking about judgment. Right? We're not talking about, well, God's not going, hmm, what'd you do? You better have done something good. Right? It's not that kind of, it's more like, what'd you do? What'd you do with what I gave you? How'd you make what I gave you grow? I'm excited to see what you did. Right? We do that with our kids, don't we? Right? We send them off to a place called school. Right? And they come home, and here's a little parenting tip. When they come home, don't look at the report card as, what'd you do? Look at the report card as, what'd you do? Show me what you did. I want to see what you did. I want to show, what did you do with that opportunity that you had? How did you do that? How did you grow that? How did you increase that? How did you make that better? Right? Do Do you understand? That's God's attitude. Well, you remember the story, right? The, the, and y'all understand in the story, right? Who, who's the master? Jesus. Jesus, right? Who, who's the servant? We are. We are. What's the talent? Our life, our what, not just your, 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 what he gave you, your ability to do stuff, yeah. right? Your literal, I mean, I know in the talent, it was a weight of money. It was a talent of gold or silver. That was like saying a pound. It was a weight measure, was a talent, right? But for us, we can actually say it's just your talents. Mm-hmm. What are you good at, mm-hmm. right? What, what is it that you have just your whole life, and we have, we, you understand we have both inborn talents and we have spirit-given talents. Many times those two things will mesh. You understand what you guys see me do before you when we meet like this is both an inborn and a spiritually designed talent, right? I've been able to do what I do with you on Sundays my whole life. Amen. They would say the problem with Brad was not getting him to talk. The problem with Brad was getting him to shut up, right? And that's still, that's still the problem today, right? I mean, as y'all know, because y'all put up with some long messages on Sunday mornings, and I appreciate it, right? But, uh, but does that make sense? You know, so those, uh, just an example of an inborn that then God just supercharged by his spirit when I finally yielded and said, Lord, you're my savior. You're my master. You're God. What do you want to do with me? And he supercharged an inborn natural talent. 
right? Sometimes you get talents that come at your new birth, mm -hmm. right? They were deposited in you at the moment of your salvation and they're brand new to you, right? You're like, oh, wow. Oh, okay. Does, does that make sense? But many times God likes to do that double layer thing. So I tell people all the time, how do I know what you have? What has always been good for you? Like you're like, that. I've always been good at that. Anybody got those? Can anybody identify something you can look back in your life and go, I've just always been good at that. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. I mean, some who can't, who sister said, I'm just a slug. <laughs> I, I got, I got, I got nothing. Right. You know, nobody is a slug. Praise God. Amen. Nobody. Is, but, but you've been good at something. That's something God, the master has given you. And that's something you can cause to grow. Now, you can cause the actual talent to grow, but what counts in eternity is not that your talent grew. It's how did you leverage the use of your talent to deposit the kingdom in another person? Right? How did you leverage? So God gave you some kind of an ability. That ability brings you into connection with other eternal living humans and you leverage that ability for an opportunity to deposit the word of God into them. And it calls something to grow out of them. That is what is said at the last day when you and I stand before what is called the judgment seat of Christ. The Bema seat of Christ. Does this make sense? You want another preview? So there's two judgments at the end of time. There's the Bema seat of Christ and what's called the great white throne judgment. One is a judgment of believers. One is a judgment of the entire world on if you believe. So I'm not talking about the great white throne judgment. That happens at the end. But before that, there's something called the Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ. The book I'm going to give you, I love what they say in the Greek language. Think more of judgment seat as Olympic podium to get your medal. Anybody watch the Olympics this year? My watch, I know I, I didn't, but some did. But y'all have seen the Olympics, right? You know, and they do the competition, right? They run the competition and they have the ceremony, right? And the winners step up on the judgment seat to be judged. Understand that judgment gets a bad rap, that word. Because mm -hmm. many times we say the word judgment, and especially in our gray circles, we go, <laughs> right? No, I am under grace. I fight against judgment. No, listen, don't, don't be that way, all right? Judgment just means observation. Judgment just means the reception of what is deserved. Right? Judgment. That's all it means. Right? Well, that's positive and negative. Does that make sense? We judge. Again, don't, you know, I, I, I never like those, but there are Olympic events where they get judged. Now those people saying, you stink. No, because <laughs> they're at the Olympics. <laughs> None of these people stink, right? <laughs> but they're judging, oh, nine point this, eight point that, seven point this. They're judging what's done. And at the end of that judgment, they say, oh, you earned this. Well, that's going to happen to each and every believer. You understand that? That each and every believer will stand before the Lord and, and we will assume the platform before him. And he will say, Brad, this is what you did. I gave you myself. Mm 
I gave you my spirit. I gave you my word. I gave you my ability. I gave you me. And you took me into the world and you did this with it. You increased me in this way. You grew the greatest talent of all, which was me. And you did it like this. Does that make sense? Guys, you're playing for points. We're not just riding out a storm waiting for rescue. You're, you're on the field of competition, exercising your persuasion in order to gain prizes for the king. Go with me, First Timothy, I believe it is. Everybody doing all right? Now, some of y'all looking at me kind of funny this morning. First <laughs> Timothy, chapter six. First Timothy, and we'll see if we get to David today. We may have to, we'll see if we get to David today. We may have to come back around. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> Oh, gotcha. Who, who knows? These phones take over. It's all good. Anyway, 1 Timothy chapter 6. We'll start at verse 11. And here, so what does hunting giants look like? How can I help you hunt down a giant and become a hunter of these things? Right? Here Paul talking to Timothy says in verse 11, he says, But you, O man of God... Everybody say, but me. Oh, man, oh, woman of God. Is that you? How many men of God I got here? How many men of God do I got here? How many women of God do I got here? So he's talking to you, right? So this verse is to you. But you, oh, man of God, flee these things. Now, just real quick and for time's sake, I got to tell you what he says to flee, right? So what does it look like? to hunt down giants. The same thing it looks like to hunt down any goal. There are some things you have to be willing to leave behind. Mm -hmm. Right? If I wanted to achieve something, it's like this. If I wanted to cross the room over to the little heater over there, but I got my favorite chair. You know, here's my chair. I love my chair. How many of you love your chair? Just go ahead and rub your chair this morning and just say, I love my chair. Go ahead right now. Just rub your chair. Just Nobody's obeying the pastor. This is terrible. Rub that just, I love my chair. I love my chair. You know, we, we all have those things that we love, right? I love the way my life is right now. It's real comfortable. It's easy. I got it all figured out. I got my routine. You know, Kevin, I got my routine. I got my routine. I got those things. You know, I got my interests, my hobbies. Woo! Don't be messing with my Saturday now because we play football on Saturday. Lost some of y'all right there. Hold on. Amen. <laughs> so don't mess with my stuff. Don't mess with my... We all have those spots, right? Real comfortable, real squishy. But man, I really want to get over there. What has to happen to get over there? You got to get up and you got to begin to leave some things. Right? You got to leave some things and start a journey. The perceived security, perceived stuff. Now we'll talk about that, but how do you do that? You have to leave some things to get to where you want to go. You have to at least be willing to leave some things. 
Right now, some things we need to leave. What I'm about to share with you are things we all need to leave. Right? So, but I'm just using it as a bit of an example. How do you kill giants? You first got to leave the cave. <laughs> right? Yeah. I tell my kids, y'all know I love to go fishing. And we'll go fishing. And, and sometimes the fishing is not real good. Right, Cedric? Yeah. Sometimes the fishing, you're not getting much. But I'll tell my kids, when they go, Daddy, we're not catching many fish. I said, yeah, I know, son. But I can guarantee you there's one place for sure we wouldn't catch any. Where is that? At the house. Yep. <laughs> right. If we'd have stayed at home, it would have been a guaranteed zero. Yes. But the fact that we left the house and went improved our chances tremendously. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. You know what I mean? And so the same thing is true as you go after things. You have to be willing to leave the house. You have to be willing to leave what is there and leave some things because uh, won't be many exploits done on the couch. <laughs> Amen. But here he says, you, O man of God, flee these things. If you back up and I won't read it, I'm just going to highlight some things. He's talking about what started in verse 1 of chapter 6. He says, you need to leave an honorless life. Leave that behind. A life that is devoid of honor is what he says. Because in the first two verses, he talks about servants, honor your masters. He says to believers, right? He says, if you're a believer and you have an unbelieving master, honor them. If you're a believer and you have a believing master, don't despise your master because he's a believer. Honor him even more because the one you're serving is a brother. So what he's saying here, though, but we have to leave behind is a life that it has no honor in it. If you want to kill giants, you have to have an honor-filled life. You have to have a heart attitude and a life that is filled with, I will honor those that are over me. I will honor those that I serve. I will honor those I'm connected to. I will live a life of honor. Right? It says in verse 3 and 4 and 5, he talks about uh, you have to leave behind selfish teaching, selfish doctrine. Right? Let me read it for you so you know. He starts in verse 3. He says, if anyone teaches otherwise. Now, that otherwise is what he just said in the first two verses. If anyone teaches you not to be honoring that person, and does not consent to wholesome words, even to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness or reverence. It says in verse 4, then this person is a proud man and knows nothing. <laughs> right? But is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy and strife and reveling and evil suspicions. Boy, that sounds a whole lot like today, don't it? <laughs> Y'all know you. They'll talk over here in my chair. Amen. Go back over to the chair. The chair likes me. Does that make sense? He says, you want to have a life that is filled with the truth of the word, and you need to flee anything that isn't. Anything that would lead to these disputes and contentions and arguments that lead to envy and strife and evil suspicions. I love this verse. I said, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Mm -hmm. 
We have to flee the concept of the gospel is there just for me. That I'm going to apply my godliness for my gain alone. Now, please hear me. The, the ox will eat from the corn, but the ox is not treading out the corn for himself. The ox is treading out the corn to feed the world. Come on now, men and women of God. We will eat from the revelation God gives us, but we are not sowing a seed of the word so that I can consume it all myself. I am sowing the seed of the word in my heart so I can become an orchard yes. that will feed the world. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yes. Now, I'll eat from it. I mean, y'all, I mean, yeah. uh, it's so funny. Okay, can I tell a funny on bread? Here's a funny on bread. So either I can't read, which is a high probability, or it was mislabeled at Lowe's. But this year, I bought a pepper plant that I thought was supposed to be like this smoky, sweet, somewhat bell pepper type thing. And that thing has jumped up in all this rain, and it's those red peppers, right, that come out, and it produces these really scarlet red peppers. And finally, I picked some the other day, and the push is just overloaded. And I'm like, oh, neat. And so I, 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 and I, I again, I, I, you understand peppers, right? You never dive into a pepper under assumption, right? That's... But you have to, even if you think it's a bell pepper, you want a little piece off the very end if you've never eaten one before, just to test it out. So I take one of these little red peppers and I snip the little end off and I put it in my mouth and I'm like, <gasps> and it turns out I had planted something called a scorpion pepper <laughs> or something. Kurt helped me out last night. We was watching football with him and he brings up this list and it's like, like number six or seven on the highest pepper ranking or whatever. Yeah, 100 and, you know, that's a lot, right? So, I mean, I'm over there. Yeah, and I, and I played a trick on my son. I said, here, son, try one of these. And so, uh, and he had a, <laughs> and he was there. But it's hot. How many of you know, I'm going to enjoy that, but there's no way I can eat all those. No way it should. How many, if you've ever planted anything in your life, you'll enjoy it, right? And you'll be giving stuff away. How many of you plant tomatoes? Right, and you're thinking about that tomato sandwich you're going to eat, but after a while, you're done. You're just like, please take these tomatoes, please, somebody. You know, have you ever done squash? You know, and I love it at the end of the gardening season. Everybody's coming around going, "I've got so much of this. Will you please come take some off my hands? We can't, guys. That's that's the word of God. That's the gospel in your life." That's the analogy. Don't worry about what you need. The gospel truly planted in your heart, you will be more than satisfied with what is consumed, you consume. But you're not planting the word in your life to consume it. You're planting the word of God in your life to give it away. To sow it into others. Does, does that make sense, right? And that's what he's saying. He says, you, huh? That is chapter uh, 6, verse 5. You have to flee a life that looks at godliness as gain. I'm doing this so I can get my blessing. Okay, now I'm going to tread boldly, all right? This attitude of, uh, I said last week, gimme, 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 because my name is Jimmy. 
Right. And so many believers, especially, can I be just honest, especially in our flavor of Christianity, those who haven't heard my little analogy, you know, we're all like selling ice cream, right? Like good old vanilla base. You know, we got Jesus and his finished work, the authority of the word of God, the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. That's kind of like good old base vanilla, Right, and then we all get to add our own flavors to it. I'm all up in the middle of some tutti frutti, some granola, fruit flaking nut Christianity. I'm all about that. That's who I am. Right, but in our flavor of Christianity, we can be gimme, 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 my name is Jimmy. Let me consume the gospel. Jesus, how have you blessed me? How have you taken care of me? Uh, I'm giving so I can get my hundredfold, bless God. Now, come on, can I just meddle just a little bit? Yeah. Amen. Amen. That's not why we give either. Now, will you get back? Absolutely. Again, how many of you, how many of you planted something? Anybody plant something this year? Yeah, this year we planted something at my house. It was our worst gardening year yet because I got so busy and all this rain and it looked like Jumanji out there the other week, right? I mean, it was, everything was all grown up and it was terrible. I felt horrible about myself and so it was all there but man those tomatoes they still produced even being i mean right i mean it was abundant if you planted anything it it was a so how many of you worried about it not producing right i you know when i go and plant a garden every year i never wonder oh man i hope it i hope god i just gonna you got to give me something you know this is a sacrifice for me to sow this come on now it's a sacrifice for me to sow this, and I just really need this to come back. I really need this to produce for me because, guys, you don't have to worry about that. If you, if you poke tomato seeds in the ground here, you're going to get tomatoes. <laughs> Does that make sense? You're going to get some. That's how the kingdom works. You don't have to worry about it producing. It will produce. What we have to guard is our heart. Why am I producing it? Why am I sowing it? What is the attitude of my heart? If I am so solely trying to sow godliness into me so I can gain. That's where Paul says you have to flee from that. You won't be a giant hunter if you're just consumed with how is this going to profit me? How is this going to benefit me? Does that make sense? He says, now godliness with contentment is great gain. Everybody say contentment. Amen. Contentment. Amen. You want a good day? You want a, I'm going to treat you like a Holloman. Can I treat you like a Holloman for a second? We say, so everybody repeat after me. Say, contentment is, contentment is realizing, realizing I, already have I already have everything I need, everything I need to, be happy. to be happy. You want to hear that one more time? Sure. Say that when we say, contentment is, contentment is realizing, realizing I already have. Everything I need to be happy. You know, Cedric, I don't need another fishing pole to be happy. Right? Oh, they're nice. But I don't need one to be happy. Does that make sense? I don't need another anything to be happy. I don't need another whatever. I already have, because of Jesus, everything I need already right now to be happy. Now, godliness with that, man, that's great gain. That's huge gain. Amen. And it says, 
For we brought nothing into this world, famous funeral verse, right? For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. It says, but those who desire to be rich. And that word desire there means those who make riches their will. That's the act of their will is I will get rich. I want riches at all cost. Right? That act of the will. Those that will to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts that drowned down men in destruction and perdition. Hello, are you with me? It, we'd say it like this. Remember, Jesus said, seek you what? The king? First the what? So seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Right? What this verse here is, is the reverse of that. What Paul is saying is those who have sought stuff first. Now, please hear me. It doesn't mean we can't have nice stuff. You understand that, right? doesn't mean that God doesn't want to bless you. Y'all hear me? doesn't mean that we don't save, and we can talk about that in future times, but it's that hard attitude. I'm going after this first. Guys, can I just be real transparent? If we talk about giant hunting, what I've seen since returning home to the United States, is I've run into a number of brothers and sisters, and it, it, it struck me is that they, uh, they have pursued careers. And please hear me, godly stuff I and mean, godly people. They've pursued careers. They've pursued things, right? They've gained what's come from that, from the good labor. But all of them now, they're, they're older. You know what all of them want to do now? They want, to pers- they want to pursue the kingdom of God. I've seen more people now, and they're like... I've seen businessmen. I just want to sell this thing. I just want to get that. Why? Because I just want to go out and do missions. I just want to go out, but they're stuck. Don't look at me real funny now, y'all. I'm going to hide over here behind Jesus just for a second. Right? I'm just going to. But does, does that make sense? Please hear me. I'm not saying we don't work hard. I'm not saying we don't make money. I'm not saying you can't make a boatload of money. But it's that what am I pursuing first? Right? What is the first pursuit of my heart? Right? What, what, is, what, is, what am I after first? What am I going for first? Right? Well, I mean, the kingdom is where our... So I, I said it on Thursday night. I'll say it again because it's a thought I want to lead us into. Again, if you look at this building and you look at, or you look at your home, you know, here in this building, we have these walls. And behind the drywall is studs or some kind of support structure, that the framework that makes up the building, right? How many of you know that that framework holds up everything in the building? Would we all agree with that? Yes. Right, you can hear over here, if y'all notice on Sundays, we've got a squeaky spot, yeah. right? Right, that's because, you know, that board right here under my right foot has turned loose from a joist, right? When we put new flooring in here, we're going to fix that, right? So it doesn't annoy anybody. Especially the pastor, because it, it annoys the pastor like every Sunday. And so, uh, but it's there. But, but that's because, there, what happens if there was no support under there? You just fall through the floor, right? You're just gone, right? You know, pastor disappears through the trap door, right? 
So these kind of things, this framework, that's the support structure. We built everything else, or somebody did, on that support structure. And the support structure holds up everything else. Now we can put pretty paint on the wall. Right. Now we can put pretty decorations up. Now we can do some stuff, but it's all hanging on what came first. So how, how am I building my life? What have I made the structural foundation and supports of my life? Is the kingdom of God and his righteousness what is the anchor of my life? Not, please hear me. Not just for my own salvation to go to heaven, but for the purpose of my life. Does, does that make sense? Right? I said it on Thursday, remember, so many Christians, the, the gospel is just the real pretty photograph that they hang up on a portion of their life, right? And they put the real pretty picture up on there and they go, you know, man, I, I love that picture. They come by once a week, touch the picture. Oh, isn't that picture great? But it's not the foundation of their life. It's wall art. You can't hang anything else on it. Remember, that's the story Jesus told about that day. Right? That there was two men who built. One person built on the rock of Christ Jesus. The one on the sand that is fading away. Can I get this? Is this all right? Is this helpful? I don't even know what time it is. And, and I want y'all to love me and come back. And... Uh, but it is, I'll just tell you two stories from my life, and we'll, we'll see where we get to. When we were living in Canada, as many of you guys know, and we'd moved up there. Sophia was little. I think we were expecting Savannah. But anyway, but we're, uh, we bought a townhome. Like, we entered into the housing market, right? And you have to understand, that was the cheap way in, right? That was the cheapest way in. So we, we bought a townhome there and, and got it together, and all happy with our first little home. And about a year or so into our home, I come home one day from the church office and there's a little flyer from a real estate agent in my door. And I pull it off and open it up and it says, homes in your area have sold for 20 something percent higher than before. So I start doing math, right? And going, hey, cha-ching, right? That's my thought. I could sell this thing because it's 20 something percent. I mean, I'll just be real honest with you. I mean, we paid... Three hundred and ten or fifteen thousand dollars for a townhome. So I'm thinking, and that was cheap entry. That was like basement level entry into the housing market in Canada, right? And so we we, we looked at it and I said, uh, that's sixty thousand dollars. That's my little, you know, I, like I, said, I didn't have to take my shoes off to do that one. I was like, man, that was, I can make some money. This is good. And instantly the Holy Spirit. In my heart, just spoke up and said, yeah, but if you move, what about Mark and Linda? What about Roderick and Linda Begg, the Scotsman? What about Christine and her husband and her two boys? What about the single mom that I put right next to you? That's right there. And he starts naming my neighbors to me and says, if you go, how do they profit? Guys, those things, it rocked me. Because I stepped back and said, okay, God, your word says, he says, in the, did I not mark out the boundaries of your dwelling? 
Did I not establish the place of your habitation? Did I not determine where you would be? And it was a lesson from my father say, should you not consult me and the prophet of the kingdom more than just the prophet of your pocket? Do you see, I really want to make that real real for us, right? Because we all, how many of you know a good old preacher's thrown out there, seek first the kingdom, brother. And everybody goes, okay. <laughs> well, what does that look like? Right? Because some people say, well, I guess I got to sell everything and go into the mission field, or I got to be like Brad and start a church, or I got to go, no, 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 I'm, not, I'm just saying, is the kingdom my first thought when I make decisions? I'm choosing to do something. How does this choice advance the kingdom? Does it advance the kingdom? How could it advance the kingdom? And if it doesn't advance the kingdom, should I be doing it? Does that make sense? Can I give you one another story about fishing poles? And I told you, you know, and I've shared the story, most expensive still to date fishing pole. And Savannah was like, Daddy, we still got that pole. I said, yeah, we still got that pole. So Selena gave me money for my birthday years ago and said, you have to spend this money on a fishing pole. And it was like 300 bucks or something. It was, it was a, as a chunk for us, right? I'm like going, and she forbade me. She said, you cannot spend this on bills. You can't buy anything else for the house. You have got to spend this on your fishing pole. And I'm like, uh, right? And so is there, and so I go and I go to my fish and tackle place. And I'm talking to my guy and we're doing it. And, and I make the hard exchange. And I told you that before it was worth every penny, right? But here's where I kind of missed it just a little bit. I, I bought this fishing pole and it was nice. Nine and a half foot Chehalis steelhead and salmon rod with a multi-ball bearing open face reel. And I put the $25 or 25 cent a foot line, the good braided stuff on there, the expensive stuff. And I went all out and bought it. And I'm excited, man. I got my pole. I'm fishing. We're catching fish. And one of the men in the church, if he's listening, is Jesse, Jesse Bregg, uh, who's our dear friend. And uh, Jesse came up, and Jesse is, still is. He's one of the closest sons in the faith I've got. And Jesse goes, hey. And Jesse didn't have a daddy. And, and even though there's not many years between us, there's only like five or six years that separate me and Jesse. Jesse calls me dad because uh, I got to see him get born again in my driveway. Right? And so he... He said, hey, will you take me fishing? I said, yes, I'll take you fishing. Let's go. So we go fishing, right? And Jesse is the quintessential. He was very city-fied, not very country-fied. He, he wouldn't pick it. And he's there. First cast, Jesse bird nests this whole reel. You know what I'm doing. I mean, it's there. Anybody ever had an open face reel and you mess it up and it's like, and yeah, Jesse was too. Jesse was real good. This was a good one, right? And I'm sitting there. And I'm over, and inside I'm rucka, 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 a bunch of sissified people ain't rucka. I never teach these men how to do anything. Rucka, rucka, and I'm over, and now I'm cutting because I can't get it out. So now I'm cutting, and it's 25 cents a foot, and I'm pulling rucka, rucka, rucka. And just on the inside, the Holy Spirit said, well, why did you buy that if nobody else could use it? I did the same thing. I'm sitting there. I can take you if it's still there. We're sitting there. On, I'm sitting on the tree. And I say, God, okay. Every, and I said, and I did on, on, the, on the banks of the Fraser River. I was sitting there and I said, God, from this day forward, if I look at stuff, I'll buy stuff that everybody else can use. 
That's why if you come to my house and I buy fishing poles, they're spinning poles. I don't buy bait casters anymore. Because if nobody else can use it, why did I buy it? We learned how to make bows and arrows, and I made sure we cut two shelves in every bow that I make so that if you're right-handed or left-handed, you can shoot a bow that I make. And please hear me. Do you understand? Because we have to seek first the kingdom of God. Right? Am, am I doing things just for me? Or, or do I at least have a concept of, okay, God, you have blessed me and you want me to have nice stuff, but if, 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 that's, I don't know. You understand that there's people connected to everything you touch. Yes. There's not a thing in your life that is just yours. Everything you have, own, possess, are blessed with, are given. Father has given it to you and I so it can connect us to people. Amen. And the miners are not upset. They're going to visit their granddaughter. It's all good. Amen. And so is Audrey. She's going with them. Hey, hey hold real quick. We're going to, let's, hey, real quick, Brother Lee, hold on. Can we pray for you real quick? Because they're going to go see uh, their daughter, who is their granddaughter, who uh, needs a visitation uh, and stuff. And she's at the foundry. Is that right? She's at the foundry going through that. So, Father, we just speak over them in the name of Jesus. And, Father, Lord, we just ask that you give them utterances and prophecies and words of wisdom as they minister to Kinsley in Jesus' name. Lord, help them just uh, help them see her and help them let her know that you see her. And that she is known, known by you and known by us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Y'all go have a great time. Amen. So does this make sense? Is this okay? So now, let's try to land the plane on this. So those who desire just for themselves. You understand? That's what he means. Those who desire to be rich. They want to just be rich for themselves. They want it to spend it on themselves, right? It says in verse 10, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So please, uh, I want to make sure that's real clear because I do believe God wants to prosper us. I don't want this to get confused. This is not anti-prosperity. Right. Nor am I saying we all volunteer to go to the poorhouse. <laughs> Does that make sense? I'm talking about motivation of the heart. Yes. If all I'm doing is seeking my gain for me alone, Lord, prosper me so I can be prospered. Not so that I can use that prosperity to advance the kingdom and to prosper others and to make an impact and to do something with it. Right? Then we ask amiss. Now we get to verse 11 where we started this whole thing. But you, O man of God... Flee these things. Do you see what he's saying about fleeing? Mm -hmm. Right? All the things we just covered. Flee these things and pursue. Everybody say pursue. pursue. Remember we said before, you've got to leave some things. I've got to leave an honorless life behind. Right? I have to leave a me, 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 gimme, 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 my name is Jimmy life behind. Right? I have to leave thinking that the gospel is just about me. And I have to pursue righteousness, godliness, 
faith, love, patience, gentleness. I mean, I just want to, I love this. I was reading it this morning again. This word gentleness here, the definition is right here. It says a disposition that is even tempered, tranquil, balanced in spirit. I love this unpretentious that has its passions under control. The word is best translated meekness, not as an indication of weakness, but as power and strength under control. That's gentleness. Gentleness is power and strength under control. That's gentleness, right? But we pursue that. These are the things we go after. These are the tools of giant killing. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, strength under control. These things are your tools that will lead you into the field to kill giants. How do we know that? Look at verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life to which you are also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep this commandment. What commandment? Fight the good fight of faith. Because listen, you heard me say this last time we were together. Don't run from a good fight. Don't run from a good fight. Pick one. Pick a fight of faith. It's my favorite line. You ever like watching Braveheart? It's my favorite line in Braveheart. It's Mel Gibson. They got the battle arrayed up there. And he's on his horse and his, his second command says, what are you going to go do? He goes, I'm going to go pick a fight. <laughs> right? <laughs> and he charges out there and picks a fight with the English. Because yeah. that's a, I, what you going to do today. I'm going to go pick a fight. I'm going to go pick a fight of faith. Amen. Amen. Without spot, blameless in our Lord Jesus Christ appearing. Verse 15, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in inapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. I love that little passage right there. Fight the good fight of faith. Again, we talked about that here. That word fight and fight, it, it's neat. It means both the arena in which the fight is in and the fight itself. Right? So it says fight, that's the action. Do the action of fighting. Fight the good fight. There's an arena that the fight gets fighted, fought in of faith. Right? It, it, that's your life. In your life this week, there will be places where you're going to do the fight, right? The arena is your world, right? Your home, your business, your job, your school, your whatever. Every day you're stepping into an arena, but I want you to think of it, like we said at the beginning, like the Olympics. Tomorrow you get to race. Tomorrow you're going to step into your arena, into your field. Right? And you're going to <laughs> and you're going to fight with faith. Right? You're going to fight. 
You're going to liberate. You're going to take down a giant. Does that make sense? Amen. And that's what I want to get you ready for. We'll look at more of that the next time we're together, I believe. Amen. So, Father, we love you so much. So grateful to be together. Lord, show us our place. Show us the arena of our battle. The place that you have called us to fight in. Hmm. In Jesus' name. And just as we take a moment to, to begin to act on the word of God today. This is what I just want you to think about and have a prayerful time. Hmm. Do you like the place where you're fighting? How are you? Amen. You're fighting your fight. Amen. Now, some of us, you know, we are where we are. That's just where we are. But it's, it's not like Joshua and Caleb. It's not the territory God maybe has given you yet. It's just where you are today. Don't be discouraged in that if that's true. That's okay. But go and say, Lord, where do you want me to fight? You know, we use it in sporting terms many times here. We called it, right, we call it home field advantage. Right? Right? Are you happy with where you're fighting? Are you satisfied with the field that you're fighting in and for? And if not, I'm going to encourage you to begin to seek Father and say, Lord, show me my mountain. Today I am, and please hear me, I'm not saying you go out tomorrow and quit your job. Everybody say, Brad didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't say go quit your job. I just said I want you to begin to look to your father and say, Lord, where do you want me to fight? Where's the land you've got for me? And maybe you're, you're right smack dab in the middle of it, and that's awesome. If it is, man, own your field and take it. If it's not, if you can say, man, I'm just, uh, there's something else, something more, something different, something, then just begin to say, Lord, show me, show me. I, I, I'm going to leave the chair of what's comfortable today because I want to get to my mountain. I want to get to the territory you have prepared for me. And I want to take my mountain, give me my mountain. So, Father, today, that's, uh, that's my prayer for us as a church family. Lord, give us our mountain. Lord, make it real clear to each and every one of us the boundary and the territory and the lines of the place you have drawn out for us to conquer. In Jesus' name. And, Lord, I thank you that if we are anywhere else other than that, then, Lord, we say today we begin the journey to my mountain. Today we begin the journey to where you would have me to be. I'm willing, ready, able to take it. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.